we don't pull punches. And this, this is a tough thing, I think, for a lot of businesses in terms of what we believe. And sometimes that's risky, but it tells our community who we are, who we believe, and what we care about. And I think that drives them even further and closer to the brand. And that's been true even more so in the age of COVID. I want to bring 500 meals a week to healing transitions, or I want to bring 150 meals to food not bombs, or start a program like Trophy Helps, which is a program that we started for auto work hospitality employees. So we have three businesses, 107 employees, and we decided to start this other thing, which you don't make any money on, but it's us being a part of our community. Personally, that's something that helped keep me going during the virus was thinking yeah. about all the good things that we're doing as a company. Welcome to Talk West, where every episode we'll be diving into the latest topics and trends in advertising, marketing, design, and more. I'm your host, Chris Bunn, joined as always by Mike Maganillo. In this episode, we sat down with Chris Powers and Les Stewart of Trophy Brewing to talk about how they got started and how they differentiated themselves in a crowded craft brewing market. All right, we are now joined by the co-founder of Trophy Brewing, Chris Powers, and Chief Brewing Officer, Les Stewart. Thanks for joining us, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, I think Chief Brewing Officer is the best C-suite title I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, I had to come up with something else since I'm not on the uh, brew stand every day. I needed some, I needed to give head brewer away to the guys that really are, uh, are doing the hard work every day. So now I'm... Uh, pushing pencils or behind the screen more often than not. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'd love to understand what the genesis was behind Trophy Brewing. How did you guys get started and how have you taken it from where it started to where it is today? Yeah, so Trophy Brewing has really started off with our love of craft beer. So we opened our original business, which was called the Busy Bee Cafe, which was at 225 South Limited Street. And that was myself and my partner, Woody, and our other partner David but Woody and I were really excited about craft beer we had traveled all over the country getting to know some uh, other brewers and some other people that are in the beer industry from all over the country and really we're thinking about how to get those beers to North Carolina how can we like start talking about beer in North Carolina a little bit differently you know we were not too far off of pop the cap when we opened up our original spot which was in 2009 so we were still people were still learning about Belgian beer learning about craft beer and learning about all these crazy flavors that they may have heard about only in Belgium or some of these things that they hadn't had access to so what we wanted to do is kind of jump in and start teaching people about craft beer and that's where we started at the Busy Bee Cafe we started off with a draft list of beers that weren't the normal beers that you would see at restaurants in town you could go to a nice restaurant like the Angus Barn or the Sullivan's and you know, they have this incredible wine list of 20 pages or 30 pages of beer or of wine. And then there's six beers. And it's, yeah. you know, the usual suspect. It's Sam, it's Bud, it's Bud Light. If you're lucky, a Miller Light, probably a Coors Light thrown in there too, just for a little bit of flavor. But so what we wanted to do is kind of bring beer back up to the forefront. There is so much work that goes into the beer that's being produced all over the country. And we really wanted to have more of a hand in kind of educating people about that. So we operated the Busy Bee for a couple of years and we were really getting these crazy beers from all over the country and making these relationships with these other breweries and saying, you know, come to Raleigh. We'd love to put you up. We'd love to hang out and show you what the beer scene here in Raleigh is all about and, and kind of get you interested in, you know, North Carolina and put it on the radar because North Carolina is still kind of a, a young craft beer state and people would just skip over us and go to Virginia or they'd go to New York or Philly and, and not really, not really spend as much time with North Carolina or like pay as much attention as I thought we deserved. 
So we did that for a few years and celebrated everybody else's beers. But then we were like, you know, there's some styles that we're missing that we can't get in North Carolina. How, how do we go about getting those beers brought here or those styles of beers brought here? So what we did was uh, we worked out partnerships with a lot of other local breweries. So we'd go to them and say, hey, listen, you know, the brewer at Aviator, you're a creative dude. I know you don't want to just show up and just brew X, Y, and Z and, you know, rinse and repeat and do that the next week. How about this? We'll go and we'll propose a crazy idea. You brew the beer. We'll buy it all. We'll take it off your sheet, your account, and we'll know exactly where that stuff's heading. And we'll give everybody an opportunity to try something new. You get to show off as a brewer the kind of beer that you're making and really show what you can do. Because brewers are creative people. They're artists. They're like a chef. You know, you want to play with flavor. You want to play with ingredients and aging. So we were working out these collaborations all over the country to get these special beers back for us. We're like, what the hell are we doing this for everybody else for? You know, we're doing this for everybody else. We need a how do we get more control or how do we make this beer exactly how we want it? So then we started doing a series of interviews with local homebrewers and uh, we would do this called like the homebrew. It was on our website for the longest time where we'd go and see, go to a homebrewer's house and say, Hey, tell us about the system that you're working on, what your favorite beers are to brew. Let's taste some beer and talk about it and see how you guys get set up and just kind of spotlight some of the cool things that were happening in our area. So that's kind of, how we got hooked up with Les. He and his wife, well, Les is not just a, he wasn't just a home brewer. He's more like a prolific home brewer. He's not the guy that brews, that was brewing once a month or twice a year, that kind of thing. He's a guy that had several brew projects going on at his house. He was coordinating uh, barrel aging process, or sorry, barrel aging beers or projects with other local brewers. So they'd get together, everybody brew 10 barrel or 10 gallons of beer to fill up a whiskey barrel which is 53 gallons of beer, which is no small feat, which is a pretty exciting thing to think about. You know, it's other people that are as excited about craft beer as we are, and, but they're on the side where they're making it instead of just selling like, like Woody and I did. So we hit it off with Les. We were talking about how do we, you know, this is what we're thinking. Would you be interested in joining up and making the jump? At the time, he was a semi-successful graphic designer, I'd say. I was much better at code. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we said, hey, listen, we're friends. We'd already spent a lot of time hanging out with him and talking about beer and making sure that we, you know, all enjoy the same or similar styles of beer and want to continue to do more and try different things out and get a crazy ingredients and help build the craft beer scene in North Carolina. So how about you take this jump with us? And uh, we got, after a couple of beers, we convinced him one night and he, he decided to join up and start working on Trophy as a project. We have a lot of funny pictures of Les's family events where we have our little fermenter at the end of the dining room table because that's the only spot where there was room for it at his house. <laughs> so it'd be like Les, Nicole, the kids, and then the fermenter at the end of the table, which is pretty funny. <laughs> you know, you pull up a photo, you look back. Yeah, yeah. part of the family. I spent as much time taking care of that fermenter as I did the kid. It was uh, <laughs> kind of like you yeah. did. That's, I actually have so many follow-up questions. It's interesting that because, you know, we're marketers here. We do a lot of businesses, not as cool as, as brewing and beer. But it's like that mentality of like startup mentality of test and learn of what you kind of went through to kind of get where you're at, I think is like an evolution of just trying things out and, and finally hitting that, that spot. When did you hit a point, and probably it's all less, where you're like, this clicked and like, this is actually a thing and people care. And like, we're trophy now, you know? Was there a point in time? Yeah. Was it you're being recognized somewhere else or what was it? You know, we're pretty conservative as business owners go. You know, we, we wanted to start with a brew system that we knew we could sell every single ounce of beer that we're making. And we had enough connections in the, in the industry, in the restaurant industry, because that's where Woody and I actually came from, but came from the restaurant industry in town. We said we could go to our friends and say, hey, dude, can you please buy this beer from us? We have 
six of these kegs. You know, if we needed to, we could move those beers. So we were making just enough to satisfy what we thought our initial need was going to be. I think it would be about the third month in less, right? Would you agree that we were kind of... It was, it was about the third month in, and we had one night. And what it, it was so hard to keep up. We didn't, we didn't anticipate. So when we first were planning it out, we thought, okay, we're going to have enough beer for, to supply the little restaurant, which was even littler at the time because it was cut in half because we were still building out, out the pizza place. So it was just a bar. Mm-hmm. And, and we were going to have enough beer to supply that bar. And we were going to have enough beer to send out to a few restaurants, to over to the Busy Bee for sure, definitely some other people. And we were about a month or two into it. And there was no room for any of that beer to leave the, leave the uh, bar at all. And then we got to that three-month mark. And there was one night that we dropped every line. All five out of six of our lines were, had no beer pouring out of them. We were down to one line. Now, wow. we had two more beers that were coming out the next day. I knew I could refill it. But that's when we knew that we're onto something. We've got to make new investments. We've got to double down on this. But we were definitely moving in the right direction. And people were responding to those things that Chris was talking about, the identity of being a outside-the-box brewer, and which was particularly exciting at the time because you didn't have a lot, you know, your shelves weren't full of beers that had all kinds of weird ingredients or unusual names or things like that on them. So it was a really exciting time. But I think that one night, like Chris said, when we were about three months in and we hit that, that one night that we had one draft left, that was when, that was that moment you're talking about. Yeah. And we're sitting there three months in thinking, all right, how do we get more beer? We're making all the beer that we possibly can on the system. What do we need to do to be making more beer? So what we were doing is we'd go out and we'd do collaboration beers with our friends in North Carolina and also outside of the state to brew a beer together, split the batch of beer, and they ship us a bunch of kegs. We put those collaboration beers on draft, and then we have some more things to fill up our lines as we're waiting on more equipment, as we're waiting on figuring out our systems so that we can produce more beer the right way and the way that we're trying to put out there. It's cool that that becomes like a, a community effort in that sense. Like you've got different brewers around the state helping each other fill their quota while they're trying to scale. For sure. That, we're, we're really lucky in North Carolina. There's such a community of people that want to help out. We had a lot of access to people because we already owned a beer bar downtown. So we knew a lot of the brewers already. We could say, hey, let's call Steven up at Old Hickory and say, we're looking for a compressor. Tell us why you, what compressor you got and why you like it or why you don't like it. And just like anybody in business, you know, they want to tell you, like, do not do this. Do not right. do that. Don't buy that piece of equipment. You'll rue the day. And so they want to share an opinion so we can take that back and try to figure out how we're going to move forward. What's the, how did you come up with the name, Trophy? Yeah, so, you know, downtown Raleigh in 2009 was a different place. So there'd be a lot of evenings yep. when Woody and I would be walking around downtown and it'd be kind of quiet at the restaurant, at the Busy Bee. So we'd walk around and just kind of see what other restaurants were opening and what bars were open and what was happening. So we had always walked by this one building, which is Mort's Trophy and Awards. So that was the building that we were in love with. We loved the space. We loved the idea. It's the kind of place where you would go in there during the day, and it was astroturf on the floor, brown wood paneling, and just people on typewriters, because people were still using typewriters in there. And it, you'd be like, uh, what is this? You know, is it, did I step back into the 50s or 60s? What, what is this? Walk in there, and they'd be like, oh, you need to talk to somebody in sales. Hold on. And like turn around, like, hey, Rick. This guy wants to talk to you about trophies. Instead of, you know, like customer service wasn't always at the highest level there. But it was to me, it was so cool because it's a piece of old Raleigh that was still existing in downtown. So we love that name. We originally wanted that building to be where we were going to go. But 
didn't work out for us, but we still love the idea of a trophy because that's such a community effort, such a, a way to kind of celebrate, put things forward and, and, and celebrate accomplishments. So we uh, decided to go forward with a name, even though that didn't work out in that location, which is great because we were able to connect with our community in another way, that way, you know, we were going to decorate with trophies inside the space. So what we would do is we would hold these tastings where we would have, we'd say, hey, listen, send it out to our newsletter and say, hey, Busy Bee fan or guest or whatever, come hang out. We're doing a homebrew tasting. The price of admission is you bring us a trophy and we give you a taste of our homebrew and we talk about it. And then, you, you know, we kind of connect. They come in, they bring us a trophy. We get a free tap handle out of it. We take down their email address. We talk to, take down their information and take feedback on those beers and kind of get our feet underneath us and also meet some of the people that are going to be supporting us down the road and really get to know them. And it became a cool thing because people would come back and they'd look at the trophies that we have up on the wall inside of the old trophy. They'd come and visit their trophies if we didn't use for tap handles, if we use them for a tap handle. You know, one of us would reach out to the guests and say, hey, listen, we grabbed your soccer trophy. We put it up. We made it into a tap handle and it's on line five right now. Come check it out. And, you know, they'd come in and take a picture and some magazines reached out and they saw our most unique tap handles in the country and they took a picture of ours and would also celebrate those things that way. And also, it's surprisingly cost-efficient. People want to get rid of old trophies. They don't want to throw them away, but they want to make sure that they go somewhere else to be forever enshrined. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's one of those things, not unlike the experience of knowing that Mort's location itself, you know, everybody has those trophies in their attic that their mom has put away because she couldn't bring herself to throw them away. It's these little shared experiences that we have with other people, whether they're in our community or whatever, that you don't necessarily talk about. But if you can tap into it, it brings a sense of familiarity to, to the relationship. And I think it's, just, it's that bedrock of the relationship that we can have with our customers customers that kind of gets us in the door and makes them feel connected to us in a way that I think brought them back over the years, you know, it really makes people feel tied to our brand. That's true. And I, I think that people always want something to support. And they want to advocate. When we have their trophy in there, they, people come in and they bring their friends in to show them that their trophy's here. Just like we do with beer. When we turn somebody onto a new style of beer or a new kind of barrel aging technique or something new and different, and we could tell the guests about that, we connect them and they're going to come back. We gain their trust. And then they're going to come back and bring a friend. And then they are our advocate out in the field. They'll be like, oh, Trophy is the best IPAs or Trophy is the best sour beer. And then their friends are asking what the sour beer is, blah, blah, blah. And then they can kind of be our own advocate on a smaller scale. I love that idea. Yeah. You create brand ambassadors out in the field because you've allowed themselves to be a part of your brand in a way that's it's fun. It's cool. They can share it with their friends. I love that idea. It really strengthens your brand, like you said earlier, within the community. And, you know, we're a big proponent of brand identity and its importance to a company. And I think that's one of the things I've actually really admired about Trophy is your identity is very strong in this area. You know, it's like anybody could see your logo or see like some of your beers and they instantly recognize that as Trophy. And I think it's allowed you guys to stand out in a very crowded market now. You know, it's extremely saturated for craft brewers, not only in Raleigh, but in the country. And I'm curious, like, what else have you guys done to help stand out among that crowd? Because it seems like you're doing incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a good thing and a bad thing because we are always wanting to do more. And I know it's something that we bring to the brewers and that we often talk about is, you know, we can't wait to go to work, whereas other Mm. people can't wait to get off of work. We're constantly talking about beer. We're constantly sharing beer, talking about some wine or talking about some spirit that we had. It's kind of in our blood at this point where it's authentic. We're not just some people that decided to borrow a bunch of money and open a brewery because that doesn't last long. And that's a 
great way to lose a lot of money real quick. Our goal is to continue to evolve. When you think about brands like Brooklyn or you think about brands like Bells and other big breweries from across the country, what they are good at is creating in this base flavor of what you can expect from this beer. You know that it's always going to be quality. And that's like part of the hardest thing that we do is consistent quality beer. And we're always going to continue to evolve. We're following trends and then doing our best to try to lead trends in certain directions, which some things stick and some things don't, but we're continuing to learn. And we allow our brewers to kind of go down these paths of learning about lagers and doing more with lagers, which it takes eight to 10 weeks to get a good lager out of a tank when we're thinking about, oh my God, we got to turn these tanks. We need to put more IPA in, or we need to do more pale ale or something like that just to kind of keep those tanks flowing. But we allow those kind of wanders to happen. And that's what people come back to, I think. Because we live in a society where people look at stuff for constant updates, right? They always look at social media and you want to see a new picture or you go to a website and it doesn't change. You're like, eh, they must be closed because there's nothing new on here. We're constantly coming up with new beers, constantly doing new stuff, like buying barrels from all over the world. We just were working on a Amphora project where we had somebody actually collect wild clay from Western North Carolina to build these clay pots, which, you know, we're trying to develop our own flavor of North Carolina as one of the small projects within this huge project that we're already operating. So I, I guess our goal is always to continue to do more and continue to follow these paths and continue to learn and um, never be satisfied. I don't know if that, <laughs> I mean, there's, I guess there's levels of satisfaction along the way, but it's always yeah. like, what's next? What are we doing differently? Or how do we get better and continue to grow? If I can jump off of that as well, back to the, the point about engaging the community, even outside of beer, I think, you know, which isn't, which isn't my side of the team. These guys, I love working with these guys because they come up with incredible ways to engage specifically our community in other ways beyond the beer. So we do things like runs. We do engagement with our LGBT community. And sometimes that's through the beer and sometimes that's through events. We don't pull punches. And this, this is a tough thing, I think, for a lot of businesses in terms of what we believe. We have a group of owners that really have some solid beliefs and we put it out there. And sometimes that's risky, but I think more often than not, it tells our community who we are, who we believe and what we care about. And I think that drives them even further and closer to the brand and they'll come back and, and buy our products, maybe for the product, but also for the sense of community that I like to think that we continue to foster through these events. So it's been yeah. real fun to be a part of some of that. And that's been true even more so in the age of COVID through some of the stuff that Chris has coordinated and the team has worked on in order to make sure that we're distributing food and some of the other projects that we've engaged in here while we recognize that there are folks that are having a really tough time right now. Yeah. I think just to touch on what Les was saying about community engagement, we're not the brewery that's going to buy a billboard at Kane's Games. I'd much yeah. rather spend that kind of money and interact with people on a more realistic level. I want to bring 500 meals a week to healing transitions, or I want to bring 150 meals to food, not bombs, or start a program like Trophy Helps, which is a program that we started for out of work hospitality employees. We, we distributed almost a thousand meals in the first four weeks of COVID. So we have three businesses, 107 employees, and we decided to start this other thing, which you don't make any money on, but it's us being a part of our community and giving back. And that's Personally, that's something that helped keep me going during the, the virus was thinking yeah. about all the good things that we're doing as a company. That's so interesting. The, the culture of, of brewing beer and breweries has changed so drastically over the last 20 years and being ahead of the trends. And I always found that fascinating, the type of things you, you can do and want to do and, and kind of moving it forward. And 
testing and learning, the creativity to, to brewing, it's an art, it's spectacular. And then the community, I mean, yeah, again, like 20 years ago, I think it's like always back to like, you know, my parents, they didn't have breweries that they could go to that they could bring their family to, they could bring their dogs to, right? Chris and I, we yeah. live in the Apex and one of the best things that happened to me at least, I live a mile away from Vicious Fishes and they just opened this tremendous area, outside area that, you know, <laughs> talk about COVID and being outside. I mean, you could just go outside and not worry about it, right? So like the two or three places that couple hanging out has been breweries because of yeah. the space and the ability to kind of to interact and, and be around your friends in a safe environment has been kind of incredible. The, the ability to be family friendly or bring your dogs friendly and be inclusive. You don't get that at a lot of places anymore. You really don't. But I think it's incredible that what you guys have been doing and, and yeah, a lot of brewers in, in general. Yeah, that's a good thing about COVID is that people have not slowed down and, you know, wanting to interact. They still miss being around other people. And a good way to do it is in a safe setting like that, where you can sit six or eight feet, feet apart. There's that kind of room to do it and, you know, share a beer. It's like the communal experience. And that's kind of what we try to we represent. We have two tents over on Maywood Avenue now, two yeah. giant tents outdoors. And we're always talking about what we're going to do when the weather starts to get cold. So we're investing heavily in heaters. So mm-hmm. we're going to try to expand what makes our area outside comfortable and make sure hopefully pull us through a couple more months um there is something about craft beer that's communal and i think that's it seems like people i don't know it's like sharing a meal with people having a conversation about what you're tasting flavor and things like that i think some of it it helps people return to a sense of normalcy in a way that it hasn't been for these nine months like sitting down because on more than one occasion i've gone to the trophy on maywood with some of the people we work with here at walk west and just sit down to have a beer just to talk and like reconnect with people in a human way especially because so much is is digital you know we're having this podcast on zoom right now and i would have loved to have gotten you guys in a room at trophy just sat down and talked with talked through all this podcast with a beer in hand because i feel like that allows people to to have a natural conversation and just connect in a better way that we haven't been able to so i find that people are seeking out that more natural connection so much more now yeah for sure I have a random question for you guys, or maybe for you, last of the brewmaster. What is the best beer you've brewed that has never made it to market? Ooh. <laughs> right? Or is it something like you, you tested out that or like, oh my God, this is incredible. Mm. And it's just it, prior to what you're doing now, just I've just always wondered that. <laughs> so when you say never make it to market, do you mean like made it? Never sold it. Of- never sold it, yeah. Maybe to your friends and family, but you never sold it. Oh, gosh. I mean, if there's a beer that we haven't <laughs> sold, it's, it's probably because it wasn't that good. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing. Like, even our three-barrel system, which we run, we'll get a ke- Yeah, we'll get a few kegs out of it. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of anything quite good. How about this? How about, like, specialty beer that you guys only make a couple times a year or once a yeah. year? So, some of those. So, okay. So some of that, there's some stuff that is so daggum expensive to make <laughs> that requires so much vanilla, which is $600 a pound, or so much fruit uh, that is foraged or something like that, that you just cannot get more than this much of, that you can only make a three-barrel batch or a, or, you know, or a two-barrel batch of something. Or we got this really special barrel, that, but there's only one of them. And thus, we only have 15 gallons of this beer. So there are some that have been very, 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 very small in terms of their release. 
You know what might fit that description? We don't run it right now because the tap room is not active in the way that it was, but we run yeah. a cask program. And do you guys know what a cask is? It, it's a pressurizable vessel, basically, that it's a single keg and you can take any beer and you can add an addition to it. And so you actually throw more ingredients at this thing, but you only end up with a 10 gallon container of this one beer and you know there's no other beer like it and you put it on and you pump it out and it's it's the only one that there is so there have been a few casts and you can really get fun and excited get you know really unusual in terms of the planning for that beer so you know some of that might pass muster i think of some that are really fun concept beers whether it's candy bar inspired beers if we were doing like an almond joy beer we'd take a dark beer we'd put it in the cask and we'd put almonds and we'd put coconut and we'd put a little vanilla in there and we'd let it carbonate up and then we'd uh, serve it from the cask so there are some fun very small volume projects that have come out of our program so just to touch on how special a cask is like les is saying it's small amount of beer a traditional way of fermentation. So you're actually keeping all that carbonation inside of a vessel. So you're creating a small bomb with hopefully <laughs> a controllable level of uh, carbonation. But you're kind of like, you commit to it, you kind of do your calculation and you cross your fingers and see how this thing comes out in the end. Because until you tap that cask, you're not really sure. There's been times we've been sitting in the tap room having a meeting and here, kind of like an explosion of sorts where the bung flies out of the cask, flies out, and hits the ceiling of the cooler, which is a 20 foot tall ceiling. My gosh. And everyone stops, <laughs> around, it's like, okay, 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 okay. What was that? And then someone goes into the cooler and it's the whole system of, you discover it, you gotta clean it up. So it's not a mad rush to look for the destruction, but <laughs> it's always uh, exciting when you discover what happened. I can't wait to, to try the next <laughs> cast beer that you guys make. <laughs> It's fun. It gives the other brewers an opportunity to try things that they would like to try without the risk and the cost of doing a um, larger batch of it. So it's a good way to experiment and try new things before we turn them into brands that we push out into the market. Too. Yeah. What's like the weirdest combination you think you've made? Oh, I'm going to go back to the king. So this is actually the counterpart of Trophy's origin story a little bit. It was one of the first beers that we had on draft. It was a concept beer that was, we needed something that would really be outside the box because there is a festival in Boston called the Extreme Beer Fest. And this was a relatively small fest at the time, but it was highly regarded. And we were, we had submitted a lot of beers that we thought were really interesting. And they sort of shot us back this message and said, well, do you have anything that's more interesting? We can't really admit you to come out here and hang out with Dogfish Head and Brew Dogs and these guys that are doing some really outside the box stuff in 2013. And so Chris and Woody and I were kicking it around around midnight on a text thread at some point in time. We were like, we really got to come up with something wild. And we ended up um, coming up with a concept beer based on a couple of different weird beers that we knew were in the market. And we knew we could talk to these brewers and pull in some of the ideas about how to make these flavors work together. And one of them was a peanut butter beer. And another one was a banana beer that we knew that didn't actually have bananas on it, but relied on a specific yeast. And we were pulling these kind of ideas together. And we thought about that old legend or whatever it is about Elvis's uh, favorite sandwich. And so we came up with the idea for a peanut butter banana Belgian double and uh, brewed that beer and put it all together. And it was really pretty interesting beer. It had the peanut butter there. It had the, the presence of banana phenolics that were from the yeast. And we called it the king. 
you know, as a reference. So it was a fun beer. A lot of people will certainly flout their familiarity with Trophy in the long term by referencing this beer. But that was a fun beer for us. Man, I love a Belgian double. So I'm really jealous that I never got to, to try that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do that beer very often anymore because some of those ingredients are really tough to deal with on the system that we're running now um, in the way that it was made. So it's a tricky beer to brew. We do it very rarely, but occasionally it'll show back up and come out of the small system. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, Mango, you have any more questions? I could just go off on like random tangents with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think we only have five more minutes. So why don't, yeah. you, why don't you close it with one more? Well, I, a bunch of my friends and I were really big into brewing, as uh, most people are in this area. And so about a month ago, we did what we call Mocktoberfest. So every year, we typically go to like Beercana out in Holly Springs, like this big festival and everything. And uh, it was canceled this year as a result of the pandemic. And so we had our own, our own Mocktoberfest. And so they have been inundating me with questions to, to ask you guys. But far and away, the primary question they had was when you're going to bring the grilled cheese pizza back to the trophy pizza. <laughs> I love that pizza. That is always in the, uh, it's always on the list of things. We're talking about, we're doing our, our quarterly menu changes. It's one that mm -hmm. comes back up and we do have guests ask about it quite a bit. The um, stuff, I'm not going to say right away, but it'll be back before the end of the year. Awesome. Awesome. That's the that's pizza my kids always demand when we go to trophy. Like, <laughs> I haven't had it in a long time because obviously we've been in quarantine, but man, I love that one. That's awesome. Mango, you got anything else? That's it. I mean, I really appreciate your time. I love what you guys yeah. have been doing for the area. Obviously, Chris and I are big fans. And yeah, keep it going. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, wanting to have us on. Absolutely. Nice connect with people. Absolutely. I'll be stopping by Maywood soon to uh, pick up some more beer. We've got to restock the beer fridge. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please rate and review us. Plus, you can follow WalkWest on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on the Talk West podcast.